Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now with the major market sell-off. Stocks getting slammed as trade warfares grip Wall Street, and the White House gets ready to increase tariffs on China this Friday. Every single stock in the Dow negative today, with the index falling as much as 650 points at the lows of the session, coming back just a bit into the close, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq getting hit the worst down 2%. So as the stakes of the trade war with China get higher and higher, how much worse can things get? What do you do now, Pete? Well, you can tell by the elevation of the VIX, and it's actually not just today, but if you go over the last five days, we're up about 30%, and add another 30% today. This is something that's definitely alarming. It's why we sit on the desk all the time. When you get a volatility index down towards 12 or 13, you got to buy it. You'd buy it when you can, not when you have to. It's an old expression, but we use it all the time, and it makes sense to me. Now I think when you see the VIX trading up towards 20, it does help create opportunities, Mel, because if you're looking around in the market and you're looking for many of the stocks that maybe are oversold for the wrong reasons, Mm -hmm. I think if you're directly involved with anything China-related right now, Absolutely, that's probably a deserved sell-off right now, what you're getting over the last couple of days. There are names that are getting dragged down with that as well. And I think because of that, you can add some of those types of names and use that higher volatility against it in the form of a buy right. So that way you can use some of that. When you say dragged down, do you mean companies that are, have no or very little exposure to China but are getting sold along right. with the ones with, with yes. exposure? And a, a great example of that would be, now I get, I get it, and Karen and I were talking about this in, in the green room earlier, but Home Depot is a great example. Mm. So is there revenue really coming from China? No. Is there imports? Absolutely. So that is going to be an effect. But can they withstand that? My answer would be yes, because it's not like everything that Home Depot is doing is coming from China. That's just one piece. So, I mean, to to echo what Pete said about the volatility index, so we saw it really spike today. And, you know, I'm nervous about how this trade thing shakes out. However, the time to buy protection, I think, has passed, right? So, if anything, if if we open up, you know, down tomorrow, I'm inclined to just sell that protection because this is why you own it for these kind of moves. And I know that, you know, it was a pretty big move today, very muted move yesterday. That was sort of surprising to me. This I would have thought would happen yesterday. I'm nervous, but I, I do think ultimately it gets resolved. There are things that I'm looking at that I do want to buy that uh, I feel like really aren't like something like an anthem. So we have people come out and say you got to buy the dip, right? You got to buy the dip. Yeah. Every one of these dips is a buy. Here's the thing: we're only two and a quarter percent off those all-time highs that we just made, uh, you know, about a week ago. Um, and I think back to the last time that we topped out back in early October, late September, and we also had a kind of gradual, um, kind of orderly sell-off at the very high, and then all of a sudden it just got real serious all at once. And I think you know what you guys are talking about, or what are the things that are hardest hit? I mean, listen, we know that retailers, uh, we know who pays the 
tariffs. It's not uh, China paying tariffs into the coffers of the U.S. Treasury. It's U.S. consumers. So at the end of the day, if we are going to have an extra 25% on $325 billion of goods that our consumers are uh, usually buying from your favorite retailers, you know, that's going to be a difficult thing to push forward uh, into consumers. So we know that tech, obviously, semiconductors, we're telling us that China's a problem. We know that China's guidance um, out of Apple was not particularly, um, I think, on the up and up when you think about it. So I think you want to think about the things that are very likely to be consumer sensitive here in the U.S. And I think there are things that semiconductors go into and they're high dollar consumer goods um, as these tariffs broaden out. But I don't think there's any rush. We talked about it last night. You need, and I know Carter's going to do the S&P. I mean, come on, people. We're down 70 points from the high. We could be down at 2,800. That's another 80 points. Then you start thinking about buying that dip. That's right. When we have a bifurcated market, we have a lot of great winners and we have a lot of struggling stocks, typically in materials, industrials, financials, which in many ways need to work for the market to work in a bigger, more enduring way. Otherwise, it's just the same circumstance of people crowding into a few super cap names, and that usually ends badly. Mm -hmm. You take a look, Pete, for instance, at some of the sectors that got hit the hardest. Semiconductors is one, right? And it wasn't just today that it got hit. Do you you buy here? I mean, do you think, hey, this is creating some opportunities? Yeah, I think... I think you have to be patient with those because I think that is directly in the line right now, in my opinion. Some of the semiconductors probably, in some cases, so a little bit of tech. So you do want to steer clear, given that the trade war isn't going to end tidally I, on Friday. Yeah, I don't see a tidally ending thing on Friday. As a matter of fact, I think it gets extended, and I would have guessed that at some point we're going to hear from the president once again through Twitter, who's going to tell us something about how this is going to get extended out in some way, shape, or form. So because of that, I think tech, industrials, those names, I think, will still feel some of this pressure. But like I say, I think there are other parts of the market that will feel a little bit better. But the semis, I don't think you have to just jump in right now. I think there are better places to be. Yeah, I'll just say this. I mean, when you think about it, obviously financial um, have gotten hit. you got to think about what do these tariffs actually mean for the global economy? We know that the U.S. was on a relative basis much stronger than Europe and Asia. I know that the notion was that Europe was starting to stabilize, that Asia was starting to stabilize. But I think it's really important to remember they were only starting to stabilize because of all that. uh, You know, we know what China was throwing at their economy economy. We know what's going on with rates in Europe. And so if you add these tariffs on that, uh, I think we could all agree there's not likely to be any sort of good resolution in the very near term. Um, you have a you know uh, pressure on the global economy right here. There's no reason that risk assets, the way that they've just appreciated because of this pivot that we've had by global central banks, should not give back some of that. I don't mean that we're going to crash. You know, last year, 2018, January to February, we had a 12% peak to trough decline in the S&P. We made it all the way back. We made a new high. Then we went down 20%. For a lot of the reasons why, if we go down now, more materially than two and a quarter percent, the same reason. So could we go down 5%? Could we go down 10%? And that would probably be healthy if you are seeing the S&P in the back half of the Year above 3,000 because we could not just ricochet off that V reversal that we had in the last four months and just make meaningfully new highs. But I mean, this level you cite, think about January of 2018, right? That was literally a spike high. It was the highest weekly RSI reading ever recorded, higher than 1987, higher than 2000, higher than 99. And we've never recovered from that, right? We're from that point, 16 months later, bonds are beating stocks, cash is beating stocks, corporates are beating stocks, and that's not adjusted for risk with the massive drawdowns. All for what? Just to get back to where, I mean, if it was a fund, it would be closed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Drawdowns like that only to give you unch. So what's, what's the message then to investors? I mean, that, that sounds pretty 
dire. Well, the or... message is that you're, you embrace a lot of risk at certain times to get very little reward when the truth is that's what balanced portfolios are all about, right? You want to, the cult of equity, put it that way, sometimes takes on a life of its own. Can I mention one point? Jeffrey Gunlock was on Scott Wapner's show this afternoon, and he made a really good point. He looks at the New York Stock Exchange composite. He thinks that's the broadest indice, and he made the point that, you know, we've now had three lower high, or two lower highs from that January 2018 high. The, the high in the fall was lower than the one in January, and now we appear to have topped out. So when you talk about breadth and you talk about waning, um, you know, waning breath, and that's kind of a problem here. We've made no progress in 18 months, really, since we've had those uh, tax cuts. That's right. And then there's no narrative anymore. I mean, once upon a time, there was a narrative that if we are in a China trade war, you'd want to be in the more inwardly facing stocks, the more domestically oriented stocks, the small caps. And the Russell 2000 has been weak. I mean, it is close to correction territory at this point. So what's the mess? The message is global growth is now in question because including the U.S.? I, I get, or it's potentially an opportunity, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's... It's, it's a right thing, right? Because it's 22% yeah. in banks, right? The Russell 2000. And those were supposed to be idiosyncratic operators just with their CNI loans. Everything's fine. Low unemployment. And we should be fine. But that's right, the but point. It's all of a sudden, it's well, it's been struggling for so a So what does time. that tell us? What's the it message? It tells you that the rates are, are the problem and rates are going lower. And that's it. That's it. But we've seen banks can make money with rates low, right? Rates have been low for a while. Banks are making... Banks are making really good money. So, yep. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not a market timer. There is no way I would just say, that's it. I'm out. I'd never do that. You know, a trade, I'm long, absolute. So, day like today is really not fun for me. But I do think that eventually this will get resolved. I don't know what happens in the interim. To Dan's point, though, we're only down this much from the high. That's True. not that big of a deal. It happens to, of course, coincide with this, this trade turmoil. But it's interesting. I wonder, you know, a lot of CEOs are probably calling the president pretty nervous. I, I think he's probably feeling a lot of pressure. I don't know how he's going to uh, escape this, but I actually think being hard is doing the right thing. Well, part of his own caucus is really not particularly happy about this. When you think about a lot of the senators and where you know they come from and, and how their companies are being hit by this, um, listen, there is no escape from this. This is happening. Okay, um, you know the Chinese delegation doesn't get here until tomorrow. These tariffs take effect Thursday at midnight. You know, so that's happening. We've seen him delay tariffs that he's announced before. Okay, We've seen Karen, that. he delayed it on uh, the G20 in November 3rd, and we went down in a straight line, 10 percent in the next month or so. It didn't matter. I mean, at this point, the damage is done. Even if we had a deal in May or June, the idea was that those tariffs that we had on $200 billion were going to stay in place for the back half of the year. If they had basically just shot themselves in the foot and introduced a new tariff on $300 billion plus, that is going to be weighing on the global economy for the back half of the year. It's not like you can just rip them up. So, you know, especially, I don't think the Chinese right now, if you think about it, the Chinese market closed up last night. There's no reason for that. I mean, we did rally into the close, um, but let's see how it acts today. I think that's the wrong lens to be looking at who is winning the trade war, what the Shanghai composite is versus the uh, S&P 500. The S&P 500 is five or six times the size. Think about the move that you need to have in the Shanghai composite if that's how you're equating it. Think about who owns stocks in China versus the U.S. It's just a stupid lens to look at. So we can stop doing that. I, I just think that the fact of the matter is this is here to stay. You mentioned it before. We saw him do it with the government shutdown into what was a very hairy uh, macro situation at the time. We saw how he walked out of the North Korea um, summit, okay, mm-hmm. with nothing to show for it. This is going to be here to stay for a bit. But is the ultimate backstop in the markets the notion that the Fed will have the markets back? What are they going to do, Mel? They can't raise and they can't loosen their stock 
They're going nowhere. They can't cut. They raised four times last year. They can't reverse any of that. Well, they can they can do stuff with their balance sheet. If the Fed had a surprise rate cut, I'm telling you, the S&P 500 would be down 100 points in a straight line. One week ago, or two weeks ago, we said that if the Fed cut rates, it'd be a good thing for the market. I didn't say it. I think it would be a disaster. (laughs) I've been saying that the fact that rates are so low where they are right now, relative to inflation, relative to some of the other issues that we have. What would the markets do if the Fed said? In a week, we were going to cut 25 basis points. I, I tend to actually lean with Dan on this really? one, to be honest with you. Just so it's be- changed. I well, mean, for really? me, and I wasn't one of the guys on the desk who said that either, but I, but I think that the, the issue would be people would wonder what's going on. What, why, it, why that kind of a reaction from the Fed? Cut. Well, they right. would just be they, they would say it's about an insurance the stability cut. of right. the Fed and their ability to sort of give a clear message. It would terrify people. All right. Yeah. Carter here says there are six stocks that will make or break the market. Carter, why don't you head over to the class and break it down? Sure, and it's not so much whether it's 6 or 16. The, the message is always that the market is top-heavy at all times. Really, typically the top 5 to 10 stocks amount to 10, 12, sometimes 15%. But we're, we've gotten very heavy of late, and it's uh, analogous to other periods. First S&P chart, there's so many ways to draw the lines. But what I wanted to focus on is these unfilled gaps. There have been 56 up gaps in the past two years and all but four have been filled. And what you can see here is the levels. We're down 2.6% from absolute peak to today's low. The lowest gap comes into play at 27.18. Were we to do that, that would be a total of about an 8% decline. But again, you know, you can draw the the lines like this and say that's a head and shoulders bottom. You can also draw the lines like this and say this is a double top. But what we do know is that this is a well-defined trend and we're at risk and we are sort of breaking that trend. I do think that we're going to come down and fill more of these gaps. In any event, let's talk about how top-heavy the market is. Um, The top 50 stocks right now are worth more than the bottom 450. So is it an index or is it a few big names that drive everything? Top 50 more than the bottom 450. Let's drill down a little more. Um, 13 trillion, bottom 250, 12 trillion. There it is. Top 50, bottom 450. Let's drill down a little more. Now, the top six stocks, think about that. And I picked six because I want to include Berkshire. 290 stocks, exactly the same value. So is it an index? It's what makes beating the index so hard. So top six, 4.2 trillion, bottom 290, 4.3. You see the percentages here. Let's look at a chart of those uh, top six stocks. First, the names. It's the who's who. Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook, and Warren. Okay, let's look at the chart. It too, like the market, is to some extent the head and shoulders bottom. But it too, like the market, has this circumstance, a rally to a difficult level and is starting to find difficulty. All we were able to do from the September high, plunge 25, up 36, which leaves you for a gain of 3%. And in that period, bonds have beat the market, cash has beaten the market, corporates, treasuries, the whole thing. So risk adjusted, a disaster. And this goes back, of course, if you want for 15, uh, 16 months. In any event, now, Here is that same basket of those top six stocks, and here it is in relation to trend, the 150-day moving average. How far above are we right now? This is how far above we are right now. The bottom panel calculates automatically, and literally every single time we have gotten this far above the 150-day average, we have peaked. It is right at that level yet again. So 
as this goes, so goes the market. I think you've got a crowding that's not so good. Um, just to put it in real context, think of those six names relative to the S&P. It's all so dependent on these big names. And uh, valuations, uh, we'll, we'll discuss that in a bit, back on the desk. Now, this is interesting, and we'll end with this. This is the weight of those in the market. So this is 1999, 2000, it got as high as 20. You can see on average, it lives around, and the markets are always top heavy, whether it's IBM in its era, or US Steel, or General Motors. But what we're seeing here is we're starting to get back to a level that is typically indicative of when markets peak. That's 07, so forth and so on. None of this is particularly healthy. Carter, come on over. Come back to the desk since he's sitting on the desk tonight. Dan, you talk about MAGA all the time. It's really catching on because Carter's caught on. It's too. caught on, Mel. Uh, so the Microsoft, the Apple, Google, and Amazon. I mean, we know that they're four trillion, and so it fits right into that narrative. For some reason, you didn't want to use it. You wanted to throw a what couple the, other you names have to tell in there. Me, I know you said it, but it's what is it? It's MAGA. MAGA. Yeah, making Ackerman great again. It's top ten. It's top fifteen. It doesn't matter what it is. It's always concentrated in a few. Yeah, no, of course. And, and, and so here's the thing. So what I think was really interesting and why we started talking about those four names is the unusually positive sentiment around those in 2000. 2018. And what really interested me is last summer is once they topped out, they really started leading to the downside. And when they really under, they're outperformed to the downside into the lows on December. Interestingly, Amazon um, and Apple have not made new highs, okay, while Microsoft obviously did, broke out in a very meaningfully way. And then Google failed very hard after it made like a new high. high right? at, at the at high. The, yeah. so, so when I think about this, you know, Microsoft, at a rel- and I know you're going to agree with me here. Of course. Microsoft, you get that thing back to 115 where it broke out in March, that's where you want to buy that stock. I'm not so certain that Apple filling in that entire gap and Google acting that way and Amazon obviously not making a new high, that it's time to buy those just yet, even though that we might just, you know, but you're long Microsoft, right? I am long Microsoft. And you As a matter of fact, and I, yes, and I so, saw, and I, and I did see some call buying actually today that was extreme in there. That makes me think, you know what? It's pulled back off that thirty-one dollar, one thirty-one high at right after earnings, back towards one twenty-five. I, I don't know that you're going to get a chance. I mean, not. maybe you get that chance. I don't think so. So I actually like what I'm seeing out there, call spreads. So there's all kinds of different names out there right now, Mel, where I'm seeing opportunities where I'm buying both the stock and calls. I'm actually kind of double bowled up right now. Great one would be Nike. Mm. But I know we'll talk consumers later on. Yeah. Karen, what did you do today? I didn't do a lot today. I mean, a little nervous. I said tomorrow, probably looking to sell some protection. When you feel like you need it the most, um, that's when I'm looking to sell it. All right. Coming up, as the trade war heats up, consumers could get hit the hardest. But we'll tell you which retailers Wall Street thinks will hold up the best. And check out shares of Lyft. The stock is volatile after reporting earnings moments ago. The co-founders are speaking on the conference call right now. We'll bring you the latest details. And later, stocks getting rocked today. So what can you still buy in this market? Pete here, gearing up to give us his top hideout trade. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Trade Fear is putting a target on one of the hottest areas of the market this year. The consumer stocks like L Brands, Dollar Tree, Nordstrom, Gap, and Best Buy getting hit today as a number of firms warn retail may be one of the biggest victims of China tariff hikes, but some may be safe. Credit Suisse and UBS arguing names with lower tariff exposure and pricing power like Lululemon, Nike, Walmart, and Target may be able to withstand the pressure. Which ones are you looking at, Karen? Well, I have Target. Uh, I like Target. I think they're doing the right things. I mean, it will hurt them a little, but I, I don't think a lot. The other one that I am long and has been painful the last couple of weeks is Capri Holdings, which I think, well, they do business in China. They sell in China. They have actually been really shifting their sourcing away from China and actually a lot of it towards towards Italy. So I think this one has really been excessively hit. But you know, in a bad tape like this. By the way, some options action there I did see. Not really my, you know, my area of expertise. It's these guys, but there was some big call buying there today. I like it. I think it's really overdone, but it's it's clearly not trading well in this tape. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Pete, you mentioned Nike before. Yeah, I mentioned Nike. Nike's one of them. Also Lululemon, which I've owned for a long time. I owned it a little bit before a pitch where I got slaughtered, and this thing just continues to <laughs> mo- wake it, make its way higher, Mel. I I don't think people fully understand what the breakdown is. 72% of it is in the U.S. The rest of it international, but a lot of that is Canada. Then all of a sudden you can spread a little bit over into the Asian markets as well. But the, you know, there's, there's some metrics they were talking about in terms of the costs because of China. It, I think it was the UBS was, was uh, alluding to that. And it's very minimal. So there's a lot of reasons why Lulu and Nike can still work, even though they're in an area that a lot of people would say, you know what, footwear and apparel and all the rest of that, you got to stay away from it. These two names, does I think, it, can does still it worry do you, though, well. When Nike reported in March, the stocks sold off, I think, 5%, 6% the day after. North American sales were worse than expected. Yeah. They did see, you know, to the point about pricing, um, uh, the ability to pass through prices, they did have expanding margins, I think, globally. So that was good. But to me, do you want to buy a stock like this that's round-tripping t- back towards that gap? Don't you want to let it come in a little bit? I don't think you have to buy it on that. I would down, love I to say yes, but I, and you and I both know, yeah. but when you see the options coming in and people start buying, that tell, that's the trigger. I'm waiting for that opportunity, and I see somebody putting big dollars down. I want to follow along with something like that. I mean, that. I think the important thing is, obviously, you can pick individual stocks, but there is a great myth in the market that somehow the consumer discretionary space has been a winner, and it is not a winner, right? So just that, to be very clear about that, the sector is, quote, outperforming the market because it's dominated by a handful of names, Starbucks, Home Depot, Costco. If you look at the S&P consumer discretionary sector equal weight, it underperformed the S&P in 2015, and again in 16, and again in 17, and again in 18. It is literally straight down. The consumer is a disaster. Yeah, just look at the XRT, disaster. though. The, right. the retail That's ETF, the it's been trading between 44 and 46 for four months and, since it... Since and for three years going sideways, yeah. which is underperforming the equity. I mean, so there is no outperformance in the consumer space. None. It's a handful of names. Starbucks, sure. Costco, people, the champions, but the rest. But that's of the beauty of the market, man, is being sp- stock specific. Well, right. That's, that's the world I want to be in. Those yeah. right. I, I would Instead go of an Walmart, ETF, I'd go right. with McDonald's. Things yeah. that are defensive. All right. For more on retail and what the trade war could mean for the consumer, go to CNBC.com and check out this article. Still ahead, here's where we stand with Lyft. That stock is jumping higher as the conference call is going on. It's up two and a half percent right now. We will hear from the CEO on his first earnings call and later. Stocks getting slammed today, selling across the board. So where should you hide out? Pete will give you his top pick. We're live from the Nasdaq and Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. 
It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lyft shares are moving higher in the after hours since reporting its first quarterly earnings. Uh, the conference call is underway as we speak. Deidre Bosa joins us now with all the details. Hi, Deidre. Hey, Melissa. Well, the analyst Q&A just kicked off, and that first question was around Lyft's addressable market. The analyst wanted to know about ride sharing versus the choice of owning a car and any trends that the co-founders have seen. John Zimmer, one of the co-founders, answered by calling Lyft much more than a ride sharing company. He said that they're going after in the U.S. alone the consumer transportation market that's worth $1.2 trillion, calling it a once-in-a-generation opportunity. He also highlighted the areas that they see as driving growth. Have a listen. I want to highlight three areas of execution that are helping us grow fast at scale. One, we are singularly focused on transportation. Two, we are investing in our driver community. And three, we are successfully executing on our enterprise strategy we call Lyft Business. It is our singular focus on consumer transportation that has allowed us to go deep and build competitive advantages along the full stack of offerings. Now, this is their execution in their addressable market, but their quarterly numbers that we got tell us that Lyft is actually paying more for that innovation and execution while growth is slowing in Q1 total costs and expenses. They jump more than 200% as Lyft continues to spend to compete with Uber. And Melissa, the second question, which I just sort of heard the quick response to, asked about that path to profitability, what I think everyone is wondering about these ride-sharing companies. And they spoke about the contribution margin, which is a gauge of their efficiency, business efficiency, which did improve on the quarter. Melissa. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Um, where do we go on Lyft here, Dan? I feel like there is enough for both the bulls and the bears in this report to, to really latch on Yeah, onto. I mean, the fact that the stock is down a couple well, percent, now it's well, up a couple well, that's percent. that's it. I mean, if yeah. you're really good, this is high dynamite stuff. It should be up 10, 12. Yeah. That's all it's got? I don't know. That's it, all it's yeah, got? Listen, I, I think the, the most important headline, if you're just reading the headlines, you're not listening to the call, yeah. is that 2019 is going to be the peak loss year, okay? And, and really, I think what's most important is not a whole heck of a lot has changed since the company did their IPO roadshow in March. And that's the good thing. The other good thing is that we know that these operators, Zimmer and Green, the founders of this company, they're very focused. What did we just hear them say? They are a pure play on the ride share business. So as Uber's coming out, they have this roadshow going on. We don't hear a whole heck of a lot about it, but you're telling me that that roadshow is going better than the Lyft roadshow, and this stock is down $12 from when it, you know, from its IPO price? If we were playing Would You Rather here, would you rather buy this one where it's pretty well vetted after the last nearly two months at 60 bucks, down 12% or 12 bucks from its IPO price, or are you going to go in there and pay $80, $90 billion for Uber right now? It's a pretty easy one for me. Why do, why do you need to buy either? Yeah, why would exactly. you? Would, I mean, okay, I wouldn't but, rather but, either but, of them. But have a <laughs> 
I, I, I'm okay again? with the self would you rather, by the way. But okay. go, you would neither. <laughs> I just don't know why you need to be in either one. I mean, yes, I agree. If I had to be in one, this would be the one that I would be in. But... I mean, I, I don't get the whole space. I don't. I, I don't. Really? I don't, you, you never use them? It hasn't displaced a lot of like your taxi rides, your own car ride. I mean, it's probably one of the most. Displaces something doesn't mean that the stock is a good buy. The problem is right? with growth slowing mm-hmm. and 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 costs going higher, and these guys saying that they're going to get to a point where they're going to stop losing money at, at this kind of a rate. How? How, how does mm-hmm. that happen? When we all know that the, the cost going in, the operating costs, as well as the insurance, all of that. How are they going to execute on that? And that's the answer we've not heard yet. For more on Lyft, let's bring in Loop Ventures founder and Fast Money friend Gene Munster. Gene, you heard our discussion. I usually ask you for the grade on the quarter last, but in this instance, I would like you to grade the quarter first because I want to understand where you're coming from. Uh, let me preface that, Melissa, with I started when I saw the results with a B. I bumped it up to a B plus based on a couple comments on the conference call. So B plus is the answer. Okay. And why, why is that? Why did you bump it up? What would you hear? Two things. Number one is this idea about that 2019 is going to be the biggest loss here. This is important because Lyft is going through a big transition. No investor owns Lyft because this is going to have a driver network, humans driving other people around. It's because autonomy is the future. But that is such a big uh, goal, such a, uh, a, a big investment. Their R&D was up 10x year over year. That makes investors uh, nervous about how long that investment phase is going to go on. The fact that they said that they will be the peak year in 2019 is important. And keep in mind, too, this team is a high-integrity, high-ethical team. And I think a lot of investors don't really appreciate that part of the story. But I trust them when they say that this will, in fact, be their biggest, uh, biggest loss year. Not to say that they're going to be profitable in 2020 or 2021, but just a move in the right direction. That was one reason. The second reason, Melissa, was this comment about a partnership. They're going to have 10 vehicles, just 10, in the Phoenix area at the end of Q3 that are going to be fully autonomous. Uh, So this is really important because the biggest competitor to Uber and Lyft longer term is Google. And the reason is that when you uh, go and move around, if you're doing a ride share, you pick Lyft or Uber. And if you're driving yourself, you uh, open up Waze or Google Maps. Google Maps is a huge top of the funnel. More than a billion people per month use that. And ultimately, Google is either going to displace Lyft and Uber over the long term or partner. And the fact that Google is only partnering through Waymo with Lyft is a huge competitive advantage that I think is underestimated by the street. Right. Um, Gene, a lot of people are focusing on this path to profitability, so to speak. Should investors who are in Lyft today care about a path to profitability? Can it still be a good stock to own, a trade, if you will, uh, without a path to profitability right now? No, it, okay. it, it should so not what be is, a, So a then trade what is stock. the path to profitability? Because that's the big question that's here on the desk, at least. And, and you, you talk to analysts, a lot of people say, oh, well, they're going to leverage their network better. They're going to gain efficiencies. What network do they have if they don't own the cars, they don't own the drivers? What is that network that they're leveraging? Well, in, in their case, they've got 20 million monthly active users, which is, call it, compared to Uber at 90 million global. So it's a much bigger number, more concentrated in the U.S. So that's what they do have. They have a user base. That's important. I think most tech companies can be relatively easily replicated, but having a brand and some users around that, I think, is critically important. To be able to plug that into another platform like Waymo, I think, is a, is a material competitive advantage. And let me just one more thought on this trading concept. 
concept is um, I think this is going to be a difficult one to trade for the next few quarters. I think that ultimately this is one of those, do you believe that the future is a ride-sharing future and transportation as a service? If you believe that, then Lyft is going to be one of the winners. But to get there, it's still, despite the positive comments uh -huh. about the track to profitability, it's going to be a long road. Last quick question, Gene, and, and I hadn't thought about a network that they own as the passengers, as, as the user base. Do, you, do we have an understanding of how much that user base overlaps with Uber's user base? We do. It's about 85%. It's, it's a huge overlap between the two. Uh, most people just simply check between the two. Right. I think that uh, is going to keep going on for a long time. But again, this longer term play, this is why it's tough to trade over the next few quarters. But longer term, the company that partners with the best hardware around mm -hmm. autonomy is going to be the winner. Gene, thank you. Always great to speak with you. Gene Munster uh, of Loop Ventures, who gives the quarter a B+. Have any minds been changed? Karen, I'll go to you first. No. I mean, <laughs> good for them. Uh, B plus. Okay. I know you would be sadly just, you know, Mel wouldn't be able to recover from that. But, I, you know, I just, I just don't get it. And it's a competitive industry. And now you've got their biggest competitors about to have a ton more money. I, I just don't get you it. You sound I, like, like people sounded about Amazon in 1997. Ah, how is this company ever being profitable? How are they going up against all these big retailers? They ultimately like you're did like make money. Screaming at the right. Took well, a long time. I, took a long time. It, it took, uh, yeah, I, okay, yeah. but I, I'll just say this: as we think about technology, right. we talk about like some boring semi companies, the OEMs, or this and that, or whatever. Here's a technology company that is actually going after you know uh, just a massive like technological shift, um, the way we all live, I think we could probably give them a little room. Let's let them get out of 2019, both of them for that matter. I mean, you know, it... it, it, it so does that mean you wait. don't own them? You don't trade them in 2019? No, but I mean, like, listen, I'm just saying, like, I wouldn't have been buying Lyft at $87 the day of the IPO, but here it is at 60 bucks, And and, and so I, I just don't think this the, the story should be damned. It's one of the most interesting technological stories that we've had in the last... It's a lot more interesting than ephemeral messaging, mobile messaging, and stuff like that that's ad support. Don't you think? I think we you all get a agree shot at 45 bucks a share. So okay, I, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's a prediction. Yeah. All right. We'll have much more on Lyft throughout the hour as the ride-hailing giant is higher uh, after its first earnings report as a public company, although it is coming off the highs in the after hours. Meantime, check out shares of Electronic Arts surging on its results up 7%. We'll bring you the latest on those moves. Plus, a brutal day on Wall Street. The Dow sinking nearly 650 points at the lows of the session. Every single sector in the red. But Pete here is eyeing one stock you can hide out in. He'll give us the name. Much more Fast Money on this very busy night. Welcome back to Fast Money. An ugly day on Wall Street as trade tensions continue to fuel a major drop in stocks. The Dow down nearly 650 points at the lows of the session. And if you're looking for a safe haven from this sell-off, well, Pete's got just the name for you. He's over at the Plaza with his Fast Pitch Sell-Off Edition. Pete, give us your hideout trade. Well, I, I hate the word hideout, but I will say this. I like this company because of the fact that it has sold off recently. And it's actually, you can see right here, 40% off the 52 weeks high. So looking at that, that's somewhat something that makes me all of a sudden get perked up a little bit. But is the fundamental story there? They've got a CEO who's been in place now for over 15 years, solid as a rock. They've got incredible amounts of insider call, uh, stock buying right now. Over 650,000 shares have been purchased from insiders over the last nine months. So very, very aggressive positioning there as well. I like the fundamental side of this storyline right now because it trades at a 10 times P.E. right now. 
Very, very inexpensive. They do not give you a dividend yield, which I wish they did, but they don't do that, but they have great cash flows, and they're putting some of that money back into the business. This is a company that when you look at the strength of where they are, it's really, really impressive. In a housing market that's gotten a little bit better and a little bit better every single month, 2019. They had a bit of a rough rough patch last year. Stock was hit on that. And all of a sudden, the insider buying, the greatest size buying actually was with the stock about $15 lower than it is right now. So I like what we're seeing here. You've got earnings growth annually of over 6%, revenue growth of over 17%, or excuse me, back, back, back that in. I'm looking at the revenue that's up over 6%. The earnings per share is up over 17% annually each year over the last five years. This company's gotten way too cheap. I think it's a great opportunity. I keep waiting for options to come in here. I haven't seen that yet. But as soon as I see options start flowing into this thing, I'm going to be in this stock because I like what I see right now. Does anybody have a question for Pete before we cast our votes? I do. Oh, Oh, Karen, yeah. No, well, I mean, one thing we know is that, yes, it's come down a lot. It was high as 300, and here it is. But this was a stock that was $17 and the 09 low. Now, we're a long way from there. This is a cyclical business. Do you think there's any downside, or you really think the lows are in? I think the lows are in, and I think it's proof by the fact that look at the earnings growth that they have had. Uh, It's been absolutely astronomical. And if it were trading at some obscene sort of a P.E. right now, Carter, I'd be a little more concerned. It's trading literally a 10, 11 P.E. right now. And if that growth continues, I think this is too cheap, even at these levels right here. All right. No more questions. It is time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on Mohawk? Dan, what do you say? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, when you not. think about a cyclical yeah. name like this, I mean, yeah, I think yeah. when their earnings bottomed out after the financial crisis, they went down to 265, so they just topped out at 1361 in the year. Yeah, it's a cheap stock. Those gaps are really dangerous. It just guided down in April. It went down to 120, I think, or something like that. I think they're going to see lower lows in this one. Now, you wrote your chalkboard before Pete gave his pitch, right? Of course no, I did. he did. I did not. <laughs> Has the I guy ever wondering. been a- No. Okay. Uh, Karen, what's your vote? Okay, well, I'm interested in housing, actually. So I'm going to go with Pete. I started out as Pete. It ends up looking a little more like me, but whatever. (laughs) Um, My big, my one big caveat, though, is do they source a lot from China? That would make, give me a little pause. Carter. You know, I've written the word, which it all reminds me of a value trap. And that's what I think this is. You know, low P's are not uh, a timing tool, and there's no indication that that is uh, anything but uh, trouble. One by two right. knows Pete. Sorry, right. the desk has spoken, but Pete, had, uh, maybe you've convinced the people at home. We're going to find out. You at home can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money right now. So cash your vote. We'll have the results later on in the show. Plus, every single sector in the red today. Tech and industrial is getting hit the hardest, and one trader just bet nearly $2 million with the sell-off will continue for one beaten-down group of stocks. We've got all the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Financials getting hit hard today along with the broader markets. And one trader just made a huge bet there could be more pain ahead. Mike Coe's in San Francisco to break down the options action. Mike, what'd you see? Yeah, so uh, obviously we saw a great deal of options activity today. About 26 million contracts traded overall. That's versus about 18 million generally. I was looking at XLF, which is the financials ETF, and we saw a big put spread trade there. The June 27-24 put spread traded over 44,000 times for about 41 and a half cents. So when you buy that put spread, you're obviously making a bet that it's going to fall below that 27 strike that you bought and possibly down to the lower strike that you sold, the 24 strike. And I would 
would also point out that if you happen to run, say, a billion-dollar book and you are looking to hedge your financials exposure, take a look at where these strikes line up. That essentially represents from 24 up to about 26 and a half, where this would really kick in. The gains that financials saw from the beginning to the, of, the, of the year basically to the end of the first quarter. So it would make a lot of sense to me if somebody who was running a book of about that size was looking to hedge the gains that they've seen in their financials, given the volatility that we're seeing right now. Dan? Yeah, really interesting trade. I mean, Mike, you and I talk about in some of these sector ETFs, they often end to be dollar cheap and vol cheap. So in, in, in both terms, you can get a good chunk of protection, right, um, covering a range. The XLF has rallied 12, 10% or something from those March lows prior to earnings. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, you know, one, one thing that people might also be thinking about when they look at a spread like this, they'd say, well, why would somebody sell that 24-strike put for as little as $0.09, cents, which essentially is where those things are going? Wouldn't you rather be a buyer of those? One of the reasons is that sometimes if you have a really big position to put on, and this obviously represents over $100 million notionally of financials, one of the reasons you might sell those puts is it actually helps you find liquidity in the marketplace when you're trying to put these big trades on. Pete knows this and Dan knows this, but from their experience as options traders, that if you're going to be a seller of that spread, you definitely want to be able to at least own that downside strike to be able to afford some liquidity to the institutional buyer looking to put on a trade like this one. Mike, it's Karen. Let me ask you. So a trade like this, this spread, are they looking to ultimately sell it or wait till the end of the wait till expiration? Just see where the chips fall. Yeah, so, I mean, that's interesting because I heard you talking earlier today about monetizing your hedges. And in a situation like this where you own a spread, the thing is that this is really protection. You kind of have to hold this a little bit because if it runs to 24 quickly since it expires in June, you're not going to get the full value of that spread right away. So. When you put on a spread proactively like this, that's probably just looking to hedge existing gains basically through the end of the quarter that we're currently in. That's my guess for what they're doing here. Otherwise, you would just buy that single option, and then when you see a downdraft, do what you're talking about doing, which is possibly selling out that put or maybe rolling down to a lower strike and monetizing some of your hedges now that they're up some money. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe in uh, San Francisco for more options action. Check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, it was a sea of red on Wall Street today as the major indices fell by nearly 2%. We'll hear from Mad Money's Jim Cramer. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a Kramer alert, a big one. The one and only Jim Kramer is here. And uh, Jim, we got to talk about the sell-off. Sure. Um, what do you do? What, what should we watch for tomorrow? Well, I've got to tell you, Melissa, first, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, we're down a lot now. We had a nice close. After the close, we had electronic parts was good. We had match that was good. We had a lift that wasn't so bad. We had Corva that was okay. So it's not like when you look at the actual companies, anything's really wrong. We got to keep that in mind. But I am very concerned. Look, one, we're one tweet away from being back down to where we were or taking that low out. And I just think it's important. I, I'd like to be more constructive, Melissa. I just don't feel that it's right yet. I'd like to see more downside before I feel better. Hey, Jim, it's Dan. So where do you find, uh, on the S&P 500 in particular, where do you get more constructive on stocks? Is there a level that you're kind of eyeing here to the downside? I'll tell you, you know, down 2 3%, I'm cool. Uh, I, I just really think that we look at these big numbers. I was talking to Regina Gilgan, my executive producer. All the, no stocks split anymore, none of them. 
And the the uh, Dow is obviously not the right index to look at, but people see down 500, and we think about it when it was a, like it's still at 20,000 or still at 15,000. I mean, it's really pretty exalted up here. And a lot of companies are down 40, 50 points, but they don't split anymore. So it's a little more worrisome. When we de- digest it as percentages, we know that down a couple of percent on a tweet isn't so bad. I don't want to hear that many companies have to cut numbers like Polaris did tonight. That's worrisome. But you know what? Most of the companies I deal with, they're going to take this in stride. Maybe not the big department stores. They're going to get hurt. But most are going to take it in stride. The timing of this is interesting when it comes to earnings season, since we're through most of first quarter earnings, Jim. But does this put China back on the table? I mean, we thought Apple was clear after the comments that Tim Cook made about the improvements in China. Does this put China again front and center for, for the next quarter? I think it does, because we've got a lot of companies in the, uh, on the ilk of, say, Emerson, United Technologies, 3M, that, that have gotten most of their exposure from eight, most of their growth. The percentage of the advancing growth is from China. Um, ABC, well, Apple, Boeing, Cat. The president even knows, you know, the president's very wired to the Dow. It's a little anachronistic, but he actually watches the Dow. He has people in the White House who watch the Dow, and they're really not that worried because so few companies in the Dow can really get hurt by China. And it's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? I mean, if you're, you're, if you're riveted by the Dow. Hey, Jim, it's Pete. I just had a quick question for you. So what are you looking at specifically? Is there sectors or specific names that you look at right now where you say, you know what, this market continues this push to the downside. I got to start looking and sniffing around in specific names. Well, I look, if, if PepsiCo would ever come down, if Procter would come down, if Colgate would come down, if Estee Lauder would come down, I mean, any one of those. Uh, I, I would, you know what, I'd jump if Bristol-Myers went back down a couple, or maybe just a little bit. Merck would come down. I know those are all recession names. I I don't mean to do that, but those companies all have good yields. And I think that the uh, interest rates aren't going anywhere. So I like those. Uh, not so good on energy. Worried about the industrials. Healthcare in sweet spots soon. If we could just have uh, a belief that single payer is off the table. That hasn't happened yet. Jim, always great to speak with you. Thanks so much Thank for your you, time. Melissa. Thank you, guys. Great really appreciate it. All right. And, of course, you can catch more of Jim at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Up next, the traders will give you their first move tomorrow and the results of Pete's fast pitch. Stay tuned. Time for the final trade. Pete, what's your first move tomorrow? I'm looking at L Brands because there's some monstrous call activity in there. I know this is in the retail world. Everybody's concerned about that. I still like this name. It's been beaten up. I think it's an opportunity. Carter. Make sure you got some SPY puts in your pocket. Karen. Yes, I have some in my pocket. What to do? Um, for me, I like, I think it's not in any way a China story. Anthem, it's cheap here. And I love Larry Robbins' thoughts yesterday on why this is a good space to go. Dan. So I'm in guy's seat. Want to be a little corny at the end of the day. I know we got a little time got a little here drunk. right now. Yeah, so I'm yeah. just going to drag it. Oh, you know how you like uh, Jamie Dimon, J.P. Yes, Morgan? You know what would be a really good hedge against your basket of bank stocks? What? That XLF put spread that Mike talked about. I think you can sell that or buy, the, buy sell the XLF, buy some puts. By the way, in case you're wondering wow, about guy. Pete's fast pitch, yeah. Pete lost. 74% of you said no to Mohawk. Don't chase FYI. momentum, guys. Don't. It's the wrong thing to do. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy.
when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.